Matthew chapter 26 is where we'll be tonight. Um, Matthew 26. I want us tonight to take sort of a survey of those different individuals that were involved in the crucifixion of Christ. Um, This is, I'll I'll be honest with you, this is a message that I have preached before. I may have preached it here. I'm not sure. But as I was thinking about leading up to Easter, um, sometimes we blow right by the cross and we just go straight to the resurrection. And I want us just tonight to take some time to examine the cross, particularly through these individuals. Um, This message is entitled, Casting the Crucifixion. If we were to put together this um, this drama, although it's more than a drama, it's as real as real gets, there would be some different characters that we would have to assign. We'd have to fill this, this cast. And so tonight I want to look at several of these characters as we walk through the crucifixion event. Uh, the first of which is Judas. Uh, let's look at Judas tonight, Matthew 26. Um, beginning in verse 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Skip down to uh, verses uh, 47 forward. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with, with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Let's skip over into chapter 27 and look at verses 3 through 5. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went, and he hanged himself. Now that's the synopsis of Judas. Uh, We see other things about him in the rest of the Gospels and him following Jesus and him being the keeper of the money bag and, and uh, asking questions. And, and um, you know, for instance, the, uh, when, uh, when, when Mary broke the expensive oil and anointed Jesus' head, he became indignant and said, this, this money could have been used for so much greater things and she has wasted it, showing really the condition of his heart. We see Judas here. Judas was a follower, but he was never a disciple. He was remorseful, but he was never repentant. See, Judas played the game. Judas was right there. Judas had, as the song said, saw Jesus do so many things. Caused the blind to see and the lame to walk. He had seen Jesus raise the dead. He had heard him taught. He had been there when Jesus had taught the Sermon on the Mount and all these other things. All that Jesus had said and done, Judas had been right there and watched and listened to all of it. He was a follower, but he was never a disciple. There is a difference. And I believe that our churches are probably filled with so many that would 
be in the same camp. They're a follower. They're a follower of church things. They have followed church all their lives. But they've never truly become a disciple. They've never denied themselves and taken up their cross and followed after Jesus. Um, They are simply followers, but not disciples. Judas was remorseful when he, uh, after the fact, after he sold Jesus out for these 30 pieces of silver, but he was not repentant. He tried to go back. He, He tried to go and give the money back, but they would hear nothing of it. What is that to us? You deal with it. And he threw the money down and went out and, and hanged himself, committing suicide. Um, look at verse 50 back in, um, make sure I'm right here. In 26, when, when Jesus says to him, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid his hands on Jesus and seized him. Can you imagine being in Judas' shoes, hearing that? Jesus looking at him when he has contrived this plan and he's sold Jesus out and he's brought this army with him. They've come in the middle of the night to one of the most peaceful men that ever walked the planet. They've come with swords and they've come to take him by force. And this one who was a follower but never a disciple, who was close to Jesus, as close as almost anyone, bar the inner circle. And Jesus says to him, looks him dead in the eyes and says, do what you came to do. I I think at that moment, that's probably when his heart was pierced. I think he became remorseful at that moment. He wanted to take it back. He was sorry that he had gotten caught. He had regrets. But he was never truly repentant. He went out and he hanged himself. The, uh, the person who we see as demonstrating real repentance would not be Judas, but it would be Peter. Peter was the one who was repentant. Peter was the one who, the Bible says, went out after denying Christ three times and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly there is a picture of his true repentance. But Judas never was. Judas tried to fix things himself, and he found out that it doesn't work. And the priest couldn't help him. Eventually, he wound up so miserable in his sin that he committed suicide. And I think there are probably a lot of people in in, uh, the, the position of Judas that could fill that role, that we could cast them in that role today. Um, we Probably some of us would find ourselves in that role from time to time. But I think there are people who have followed the whole church thing, but never become a disciple, who have failed Jesus so many times, have had regrets, but have never come to that place of true repentance. By the way, there is no salvation without repentance. You can't simply believe and be right with God. The Bible says that you also must repent. You must turn away from your sin. Um, That is true conversion. Then the second person I want us to look at tonight is the person of Pilate. Uh, Look also in chapter 27, uh, verses 11 through 14. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear now many many things they testify against you? 
But he gave him no answer, but even not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Skip down to verse 21. The governor again said to them, uh, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. You see, Pilate never had the privilege of being where Judas was. He had not walked with Jesus and seen all of those things. But Jesus was brought to him to examine. And when Pilate brought him in and examined him and asked him all sorts of questions, he was thoroughly convinced that Jesus was an innocent man, that he had done nothing wrong. So he devises the plan and says, I'll offer them this custom of releasing one prisoner. And I'll offer them such a vile, disgusting threat to society that they'll They'll have to choose Jesus. It would make no sense to choose anybody but Jesus between the two. Would you like me to release to you Barabbas or Jesus? And I think he probably grinned to himself. And little to, his, to, to what he knew, they called for Jesus. They called for him to release Barabbas. They wanted Jesus to be crucified. And Pilate tried to avoid guilt by not making any real decision about Jesus at all. And this is where we find Pilate. He, he knew the truth about Jesus. He said, I find no fault in him. He tried to pass Jesus off to Herod, saying, well, he's not really my issue. Take him to Herod. Herod sent him back to Pilate. He tried offering the choice between Jesus and a murderer. Eventually, we see in verse 24 that he has this basin of water brought out and he symbolically washes his hands in front of the people in, in this. Can't you just see this out on this balcony terrace overlooking the crowd? I mean, it's just, it just screams, you know, major motion picture, you know, the crowd below and here he is and he, he brings the water. They bring the water and he washes his hands and he says, I am clean of this man's blood. His blood be on you and your children. Well, Ultimately, the decision was his. He tried to make no decision that would leave him innocent. But in making no decision, he really made the decision that condemned him. And there are people, I think, that attend our church services regularly that think that they just don't have to decide anything. They just don't have to come to any place or position on Jesus, who he is, what he requires of them. They don't want to think about it. There's a whole lot of people that would rather just go through life, getting up, going to work, coming home, figuring out something for supper, and then sitting down in front of the TV and never think about who Jesus really is and what he requires of me, what comes after death. There's a whole lot of people that are just, just filling their lives with all sorts of entertainment. And that's, I think, the position that we find Pilate in. 
That's why, why he said, you see to it. The responsibility is yours. Trying not to make a decision, he made the worst decision of his life. I think there's a whole lot of people that we could put in that role, the role of Pilate. The third is the role of the soldiers. The soldiers play this role. Look in verses 26 through 31 of Matthew 27. Verse 26, Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. Kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And, they had, and when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Now, uh, I, just not too long back, I went through this, but I don't know if you really, I, I want you to stop and think about what Jesus endured before going to the cross. I mean, what set us free was that he absorbed the wrath of God. Well, he endures a lot of torture from these soldiers right here. These soldiers considered that Jesus was not God at all, that he was simply someone to be mocked. In, in their minds, there was really only one God, and that was Caesar. Nobody else really mattered. Caesar was the one who wrote their paychecks. Caesar was the one who, whatever he said, went. He barked orders and they obeyed. So the only God to them was Caesar. The idea of this man, particularly this man in this position, him being a God, this was something to be mocked and laughed at and ridiculed. The Bible here says that they scourged him. Um, This cat of nine tails as as it's often called they, this um, this short handle with uh, nine straps of leather or strands of leather coming off of it um, that were two or three feet long um, and in the ends of each of these strands were sewn uh, rocks and shards of bone and metal all weaved into the ends of these strands and they would take the person, the, the criminal, and they would, they would lay him over um, a stump. And then they would flank this person, one on either side, and they would take this cat of nine tails and they would um, go back and forth just taking the flesh off of the criminal's back. And, when, and I don't want to gross you out, but I want you to really get what Jesus endured, what he went through. That when that when those strands would would wrap around the backside of his back, not knowing really where they would land, some would land up around the shoulder, others would would go down onto the backs of his legs. That it would wrap around and it would be almost like a fish hook going into flesh. And then when they would rip that back, um, large pieces of flesh would often come come with it. And they had him scourged to the point where uh, probably there were places on his back where you could see the individual bones exposed. 
They then stripped him of his clothes. They took him into this inner chamber and they, they stripped him of his clothes. And they went into uh, the equivalent of their locker room and they found one of their old, old cloaks. And they brought this old cloak out that was somewhat faded and they, they put this on him, um, symbolizing this is, this is a king's cloak. This is a king's wardrobe. And they put this on him. They had heard this is the king of the Jews. They take this and they put this on him. And the Bible says that they then took these thorns and they weaved them together and and, uh, made a crown out of these thorns. And they took that and they placed it on his head. And they didn't sit it gingerly on his head, but instead they they pushed that down on his head. Those long thorns protruding into his scalp and down onto his face. They put a, a, a reed in his hand, uh, symbolizing his scepter. Then they stepped back and they looked at the king that they had dressed and they knelt before him. And he was at this point bloody and bruised and worn out from the scourging itself. And they, they kneeled before him and they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they bowed down and they laughed. I'm sure they hit one another and agged one another on. And the one who spoke and stars were hung in place. Didn't open his mouth. But humbled himself and took all of it. Then they stood up from that after they had had their time with him for a while. And they took that reed out of his hand and they struck him in the face with it. I'm sure they punched him and did a few other things. But then they took all those clothes back off of him. And they put his own clothes back on him and they led him out to be crucified. They spat on him. They did all sorts of things. And to them, Jesus was just someone to be mocked. And while we don't have as many of those that come into our church services, there are some. Uh, you'd be amazed at some, some that come that have no intention of ever believing what we're preaching, that come and sit um, so that they can then have ammunition uh, to um, mock and make fun. And there are those out there that you work with, that you um, live next to, that the idea of Jesus being the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world is ridiculous to them. And they would mock that um, at the drop of a hat. There are men on television and women in, in uh, very influential positions, men like Bill Maher and others, who, who just think the idea of Jesus as the Christ is ridiculous. He's something to be mocked and made fun of. And we're we're stupid for following this thing. We're giving our lives to this. We're ridiculous. We should just eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. There's nothing after this. And there are people that would fit into this role. But what we need to realize is the king that they were mocking was the king of kings. They never stopped to investigate him for themselves. You may say, well, that's not me. I, I'm, not, I'm not violent. I'm not cruel. I love the Lord Jesus. Well, it may not be you. But every time you deny him in your life, every time you refuse to acknowledge his rightful rule over you, you treat him with the same disregard. You may have no cat of nine tails in your hand, but when you say, no, Jesus, my way is better than your way, you take the same attitude that they took. The next person I want you to see tonight is the person of Simon. Uh, Simon, uh, in chapter 27, verse 32. 
As they went out, Jesus now carrying his cross, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. You know this part of the story well. It was depicted in Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. Um, Jesus is so worn out and weary from the beating and the blood loss that he has taken that probably here, we don't have a lot of details on this, but the inference probably is that he was so worn out and weak from all that blood loss that he, he collapsed under the weight of that cross. And he couldn't go on carrying it. And so they, the Roman soldier looks over into the crowd and takes Simon, who's there to celebrate the Passover, pulls him out of the crowd and says, pick up the cross. And I'm sure Simon, there's been songs written about this that depict this, but I'm sure probably Simon didn't want to have anything to do with this criminal. He may not have known who this Jesus was. If he was just on the outside looking in, all he would know is this is a criminal condemned by Rome on his way to death carrying his own cross. When the Roman soldier pulled him out, he wanted nothing to do with it. He was probably embarrassed by it. But under being compelled, under compulsion here it says, they compelled him to carry the cross. He then leans over and picks up the cross. At first he was humiliated, but as he looked closer, there's something different about him. Simon came to celebrate the Passover. This is what Warren Wiersbe says. Simon came to celebrate the Passover lamb and wound up meeting the Lamb of God. But there's something that happened that that in the same way that Jesus pulled back the veil of his that veiled his glory to Peter, James, and John that we looked at this morning, I think Simon was able to see that same glory. No, he didn't look, and all of a sudden Jesus was clothed in um, brilliantly, intensely white clothing. But in that experience, he came to know that Jesus was the Lamb of God sent to take away his personal sins. Um, There could be many of us that probably would fill this role. That had heard of Christ and and maybe as a child we were kind of forced to go to church. I remember being forced to go to church. Anybody else remember being forced to go to church? I was forced to go to church. And, and, and I loved it, but I hated it. Uh, I, I mean, I just, you know, I remember sitting and counting all the lights and, you know, n- numbering them off. I could tell you how many there were in there, I, you know. Um, I did all sorts of things to pass the time in church. I remember, I remember laying out of church one night. Uh, we had all come to church as a family. It was on a Sunday night. I remember laying out, but um, and I had gone up to sit in the balcony with my friends, and and uh, but I had I had snuck out, and uh, while I was out, about halfway through the service, I, I realized, you know what, um, my mom's going to look up there and not see me in church, so I, I, I better I better remedy this, or I'm going to be in real trouble. So I snuck back up the stairwell in the balcony, and my own kids are listening to this, and and. Uh, and uh, snuck back up the, the stairwell, and I, and I sat outside. I, I knew if I opened that door, that door would creak, and my mom would see me coming back in. So I just, I just sat on the floor right out there, outside that door, right outside the balcony. And I could hear everything that was said. I probably listened more intensely that night than I would have if I'd have been sitting in the service. Well, lo and behold, don't you know, 
When I got in the car after church, my mom said, where were you? I didn't see you in church tonight. I didn't see you in the balcony. You you weren't sitting up there with your friends. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I was. I I was up there. I was in the balcony because technically I was up in the balcony. And she said, well, then tell me, what did the pastor say about this? And I had listened intensely. And I said, oh, he said this and this and this and this. And she kind of stepped back. And she ne- to this day, she won't know. She doesn't know. Now, she'll go, on, she'll go online tonight probably, the one time she goes online and listens to the podcast. And it'll be on there and I'll be in trouble next time I go home. But I think all of us, there's a lot of us that could fit in this category where we didn't like the idea of following Christ at first. We didn't like the idea of being associated with Him. We may have been compelled to. But so many of us have had that experience of Him pulling back the veil and us seeing His glory and seeing Him for who He really is and understanding that it is not Drudgery. It is not something to be embarrassed of. But instead, it is the greatest privilege of our life to be able to call ourselves Christians. The greatest privilege we have is to be associated with Him, that He would call us His own. And we would be called children of God. So maybe you would fit well in the person of Simon. And then you come to the person, as we go on down through this chapter, you come to Jesus. Verses 35 through 37. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. We come to the person of Jesus and we ask, Well, who among us would fill this role? And the answer is none of us. Because there's only one. Um, in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson um, refused. And Mel Gibson's got his own issues outside of, outside of that movie we all know. But um, Mel Gibson is, is a documented Catholic. And um, he, he's a well-known actor. He is, he's a very good actor. He's, he's played in some really good things. And many thought that when coming to this movie, he was producing this movie, that he would play some role in the movie. Well, the only role he played was the hands that drove the nails into the hands and feet of Christ. And his, he did it as a, um, as a testimony that it was his sin that held him there. It was a brilliant, brilliant piece of, uh, I guess, trivia there about the movie. Um, Brilliant sentiment. Now, now, his own life may disqualify him and say other things about him, but I think that's a pretty, pretty poignant statement. But there's none of us that would be able to play the point, the, the part of Jesus. There's only one Jesus. There's only one King of Kings. There's only one Lord of Lords. There's only one spotless Lamb of God. None of us could ever come close to that. And everyone else falls way short. The last ones that I want you to see tonight, if we were to cast the crucifixion, would be the role or the roles of the thieves that were crucified alongside Jesus. Look at verse 38. In verse 38 of chapter 27, Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Um, if you turn back to, or turn over to Luke chapter 23, 
you kind of get the rest of the story here. Luke 23, verses 39 and forward. 39 through 43. One of the criminals, Matthew doesn't give us this detail, but Luke does. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. These, uh, these two thieves came to Jesus with two very different opinions, two very different attitudes. The one remained bitter and irresponsible to the end. Um, when he says to Jesus, aren't you the Christ? Uh, he's not saying, I really believe you are the Christ. Why don't you save yourself? Instead, he's taking the same posture and the same attitude as those Roman guards. And he says, you're the Christ, aren't you? Go ahead, save yourself. And he's just mocking Jesus. And the other criminal, you know it well, rebukes him. He faces his own guilt. And he did the only thing that he could do. He cast himself on the mercy of Christ. You, do you, can you really get your mind around what type of faith that took? That just a few feet away, there's a man hanging on a cross that's just like the one you're hanging on. And you're putting your faith in him to save you? I mean, that, that's tremendous faith. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen naturally. That's the father drawing that thief to himself. That's the father opening the eyes of, of that thief to the truth of who Jesus was. And there are many of us who also could play this role, that we have been thieves and murderers. We have, we, maybe we have not killed anyone outright and physically. But we have hated our brother. We have become angry and wrathful. We have lied and we have, we have done all sorts of things. We have, we have lusted. We may not have committed adultery, but we have lusted with our eyes. And Jesus said, if you've lusted with your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. We've broken God's law all sorts of ways. And many of us have found ourselves condemned, casting ourselves on the mercy of God. And chances are you've seen yourself in one or more of these characters. You need to know that this is not the way the story ends. We, you all know that. The story ends with Jesus being put into the tomb... But he walks out three days later. I wonder, I've often wondered, would these that we've talked about tonight have made the same decisions that they made had they known that's what would happen? I mean, I don't know if you ever thought about that, but would Judas have ever sold Jesus out if he really understood that Jesus would be raised from the dead and walk out of the tomb? Would, would Pilate have owned his own guilt and bowed before the king? Would he have stood up to the people who were saying, crucify him, and just said, no, 
Because this is the Son of God. Would the soldiers have instead dropped the whip and faced the punishment of the Roman government to avoid mocking God himself? Would Simon have volunteered to carry the cross of Christ instead of having to be compelled? Maybe the greatest wondering of all is, would there be two thieves in paradise instead of only one? We'll never know what they might have done. The important thing is, what will you do? Um, I would encourage you tonight, um, as your pastor, standing here on Sunday night with many of you, Faithful, I think probably the majority of you in this room tonight are saved and you know you're saved. You're confident in that. You're thankful for that. And I think, I think I'm seeing in you just this growing thankfulness for what God has done. But the reality is that there may be somebody in here tonight that is not confident in that. You don't know him as Lord and Savior. You see yourself in some of these characters, but you've never cast yourself on the mercy of God. Then tonight I would invite you to own up to your own guilt. To see him for who he really is. To turn away from your way and your sin. And come to him and ask him to forgive you and to remember you. For there is coming a day, there's coming a great day of the Lord, a great day of judgment, the Bible says. But right now, it's not here. Right now, this is a day of grace. And you have an opportunity to be right with God. Right in standing because of what Jesus has done. And I would invite you to receive the gift of the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, tonight, we... uh, We examined the cross. We examined those that had a part to play. We've not examined all of them, but God, we've looked at so many. God, we see ourselves in the lives and the the character traits, the decisions in in, uh, so many of these. God, we pray that you would indeed forgive us. God, the Bible teaches, uh, 1 John and other places teaches that, that even after we come to know you as Lord and Savior doesn't mean that we'll never sin again. And we're in the process of being made like Christ, conformed to his image. But we will, from time to time, deny you. We will um, reject your wisdom and your rightful lordship over our lives. And God, tonight I pray that as we meet as a faith family, that individuals in this room would that you would convict us of those areas, those sins, and God, that we would waste no time in confessing those as sin, turning from them, and asking you to forgive us once again, to wash us clean, not in a new way, but in the very same way that we came in, through the gospel. That we would not view the gospel, as I heard one preacher say this week, as the diving board that we jump off of to get into the pool, but that we would see the gospel as the pool itself, that we would jump in and stay in the gospel. Tim Keller said it this way, that the gospel is not the ABCs of salvation, but it is the A to Z of salvation. And God, I pray that we would, we would bring that, we would, we would hold that dear, God, that you would bring it 
down deep into the fabric of who we are. God, for the one who's in here tonight who does not know you as Lord and Savior, who does not have their sins washed away by the finished work of Christ, God, tonight I pray that you would convict them of their sins, bring them to you, and God, that they would turn from their sins and trust you as Lord and Savior of their life. God, that they would find that when they do, that it was you drawing them all along, and that it is you that will make them right before God. It is you that will adopt them into the family. It is you that will continue this work of conforming them to the image of Christ. It is you that will fill them with the Spirit of God. It is you that will cause them to persevere all the way to the end. It is you that will, that will take them safely beyond the grave. It is you that one day will finish their glorification so that they can live in heaven with you forever. God, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you that, that we see your story so clearly in the gospel. And God, we pray that you'd bring it more and more clearly to our understanding day in and day out. Lord, take us from this place. Use us for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great night.